I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. Would you like to live to be more than 100? Many people worry that old age will bring debility and dementia. This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Our guest today is 102 years old. She's a physician with amazing life experience and insights. Dr. Gladys McGarry helped found the American Holistic Medical Association at a time when the idea of integrative medicine was radical. Today, thousands of healthcare practitioners embrace the idea of caring for the whole patient. Dr. Gladys will share her perspective on how we can each live our best life by discovering our purpose. Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, secrets to living a long, healthy life. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines, Americans spend more for our health care than six other advanced countries combined. Germany, Italy, Austria, Spain, France, and the U.K. all have universal coverage for their populations. That means everyone is covered by taxpayer-funded health care. Those six countries have a total population of 335 million people, which makes them, as a group, comparable to the U.S. with 331 million people. American taxpayers shelled out $1.8 trillion in federal and state health care costs in 2022. That's not quite half of the total health care bill, which came to almost $4.5 trillion. The total bill for the six nations that cover their entire population came to $1.2 trillion, about two-thirds of what the U.S. government spent without covering everyone. The United States ranks 38th in the world in terms of health, despite spending the most. Congress is worried that the FDA is not exercising appropriate oversight on foreign drug manufacturers. The Energy and Commerce Committee of the House sent a letter to Commissioner Robert Califf asking about FDA's inspections of facilities in China and India. During the pandemic, the agency suspended such direct oversight, substituting video walkthroughs or electronic record reviews. Since the committee began its investigation in July, there have been numerous drug recalls. These are often responsible for drug shortages. The letter to Commissioner Califf contains numerous pointed questions regarding inspection procedures in both India and China. People with cancer frequently experience depression. Although this is certainly understandable, it can have a negative impact on their treatment and quality of life. In a recent trial, scientists tested the effectiveness of a single dose of psilocybin together with individual counseling and group support. 30 cancer patients volunteered for this study. Following treatment, depression severity dropped dramatically. No patients experienced serious side effects, and four-fifths had a sustained response for at least two months following one psilocybin treatment. This shows that it is feasible to deliver the treatment in small groups in community cancer centers. Patients were overall positive about the experience. A recent study published in JAMA reported that a low-sodium diet reduced blood pressure 
about as well as commonly prescribed antihypertensive medications. More than 200 individuals with high blood pressure were randomized to either a high or a low sodium diet for a week. At the end of that first week, they switched to the opposite diet. The low-sodium diet provided about 500 milligrams of sodium daily and 4,500 milligrams of potassium from food. The high-sodium diet contained at least 2,200 milligrams of sodium a day. On the low-sodium diet, three-fourths of the volunteers had lower systolic blood pressure by about eight points. A small fraction of the subjects actually had higher blood pressure on the low-sodium diet. The authors conclude that sodium reduction significantly lowered blood pressure in the majority of middle-aged to elderly adults in this study. One of the problems for people trying to follow a low-sodium diet is taste. Food without any salt often tastes flat, but salt substitutes may have a bitter aftertaste. Researchers at the National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute have developed a salt substitute with 75% sodium chloride and 25% potassium chloride. They tested this combination in six villages in rural Peru. Some of the villages were supplied with the salt substitute, while the others received ordinary table salt. After three-plus years, rates of hypertension had fallen by about 50% in the villages using the substitute. Average blood pressures of individuals also became lower. The salt substitute was indistinguishable from table salt. The average drop in systolic blood pressure of approximately two points could reduce the rates of stroke and heart disease in the population over time. One word of caution. People with kidney disease may not be able to handle extra potassium and might not do well on this product. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. Do you worry that you'll lose your edge as you get older? Many people fear that aging means inevitable waning of both physical and mental capacity. Our guest today demonstrates the possibility of maintaining good health mentally, physically, and spiritually as a centenarian. She has some remarkable stories to share. Dr. Gladys McGarry is a medical doctor still practicing at 102 years of age. She's also a co-founder and past president of the American Holistic Medical Association, now called the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. Dr. McGarry is the author of The Well-Lived Life, a 102-year-old doctor's six secrets to health and happiness at every age. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. Gladys McGarry. Hello. I'm so happy to be here and meet you people. I can't see you, but I can hear you. That's right. We can hear you, too. We can hear you, Dr. Gladys. And, and, And there is a rumor that you are 102 years old and and still working. Can you share with our listeners how you started your journey? (laughs) Well, I was born in 1920, so that adds up, you know. So, (laughs) Yeah. And I was born in India. My parents were osteopathic medical physicians who went out as 
as uh, missionaries, medical missionaries, in uh, 1914. So it was just at the end of the World War One, and uh, I was born in India in in one of the uh, medical missionary hospitals there. But my parents did their work out in the villages and in the jungles of North India. That must have been an amazing childhood. Oh, it was awesome. To me, that was the best, you know, it was everything was just the way it was supposed to be. (laughs) Dr. Gladys, in your book, The Well-Lived Life, you actually tell us how you found your juice. It's an amazing story, and it involves an elephant. Can you tell us that story, please? Well, you know, we were in the jungles in North India, and my parents actually, my father and my older brothers were hunters because these major animals attacked villagers, and so they had no uh, way of protecting themselves. One day when my, my dad and my brothers were on a, a hunt out in the in the deep jungle. My mother, who was a physician, uh, and who I was nine years old, and I thought I was a physician too. So we and my older sister, who and my younger brother, were there in the camp with the helpers that were working with the people. That, but the people were there. There were pro- sometimes a hundred people who would come to the, to have some help from these doctors. But this one day we were there and all of a sudden the here an elephant came walking into the camp and he was led by his mahout, the elephant, a man who took care of the elephants. And he walked up to my mother and said, this is the Maharaja's favorite elephant, and he got injured when they were on a hunt, when he stepped on a bamboo stump, and he can't walk properly. Now he's in pain, and the Maharaja wants you to do something. And my mother looked at him, and she said, "Uh, well, I don't treat elephants. He said, you're a doctor? And she said, yes. He says, you treat elephants. So she says, okay. (laughs) And then she walked up to the elephant and started talking to it. And it was, for me, it was a time in a space time thing that you remember. Because here she was patting the elephant's leg and talking to it just like she would to any of the patients that I had seen her talking to day after day. and. So she felt around and and realized that there was something that was still stuck in the pad of the elephant's foot. And so while she's still talking to him and patting his leg and saying the thing is, it may hurt while I'm doing this, she asked me to go and fix some potassium permanganate in the basin and bring a syringe and and the forceps. Well, I know what she was talking about. So I got them and we gave them to her. So and she took the forceps and moved around at the bo- elephant's foot, and he didn't 
bat an eye. He didn't move <laughs> it, anything. He was just as quiet as everything. And uh, she moved around till she found something and pulled out a bamboo sliver that was about, oh, eight inches long. And then she uh, took the potassium permanganate and, and syringed throughout the whole injured place and then applied some ointment to it and so on. All the time, she's talking to this elephant. And, you know, they, they, were, they were really communicating. And I'm leaning against the elephant's leg, and it's letting me do that. And so after it was done, we went... All, the elephant picked us up, children up, and put us on its back. And we went down into the Ganges River, which was right there nearby, and had a wonderful time playing with the elephant. But the next day, the elephant comes walking back into town and without the mahout helping it or anything, walks straight up to my mother, puts his Arm, his uh, trump around her and picks her up, and she and she finally says, pats him on the nose and says, "Be a good boy and put me down." And he does. But this went on for a week, as the elephant got better and and was then well by the time we left. But to me, it was like every every living thing is real. You know, and this elephant, as huge as it was, as and I had seen the devastation that an elephant can do when they get angry and run through things. But this, you know, the idea that my mother, who was five foot one, you know, I mean, she just a little bitty thing, could have enough of the healing energy within her actual being to connect with the healing energy of that huge animal. You know, anything's possible when you see something like that. You write that that's when you realized you too wanted to be a healer. Oh, absolutely. This is what I needed to do. <laughs> Dr. Gladys, Medicine has changed so much yeah. since your parents were practicing in India. I wonder, you know, as you have observed those changes over the last 60 years, how they affected you? Well, affected me enough that um, I knew from the time, um, well, we, Bill McGarry and I were, GPs. We were general practitioners. And our first office was in Wellsville, Ohio. And um, even at that point, I realized that the kind of medicine that was that I was taught in medical school wasn't really as there was something missing in it. It was, in fact, enough so that I was <laughs> The dean of my our school and women's medical college sent me to the psychiatrist two different times because she didn't think I had the quality <laughs> that were required of women in medicine. Anyway, to be that as it may, I knew that there was something missing 
in the field. We were good about working with the body. It was right. In, I started medical school just as World War II started. And so, you know, we had sulfur and then we had penicillin and, and we had these other things that came and, and uh, steroids. Amazing things began to happen. And that was wonderful. And we were beginning to be, find out something about the mind and the way the mind was working with people. But when I graduated, that was about it. Our whole focus was a focus on, it was a war against disease and pain. And I, Jeepers, I'd seen my mother work with elephants and it, there was an other, an, an ordinary people suffering and so on. And I knew that there was more to it than that. It was not just that. There was the inner something or other that was more, not more, was as important as the mind and body. So Bill McGarry and I, we began thinking about what's missing here. And when we moved to Phoenix in 55, we began understanding something about nutrition, which we had learned nothing about mm -hmm. in medical school, and other aspects of our being and shifted mm -hmm. so that we had a triune approach, the body, mind, and spirit. You're listening to Dr. Gladys McGarry, co-founder and past president of the American Holistic Medical Association. Her most recent book is The Well-Lived Life, a 102-year-old doctor's six secrets to health and happiness at every age. After the break, we'll hear about the co-founding of the American Holistic Medical Association. What does holistic mean for Dr. Gladys? How did the medical community respond to these new ideas? Dr. Gladys offers some advice for living our very best lives. She suggests that all of us have a critical piece of the big puzzle of life. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs dot com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory and Focus is a unique formula made with a blend of ingredients that work together to promote attention and long-term memory. It supports five areas of brain performance all in one capsule. More information at cocovia.com. These days, the idea of holistic or integrative medicine doesn't seem so unusual. 
But 50 years ago, the concept was radical. Many physicians were put off by the idea that modern medicine needed to go beyond its conventional boundaries. Today, however, there are thousands of physicians practicing integrative medicine, and prestigious organizations like the Mayo Clinic have embraced this approach. Dr. Gladys McGarry is recognized as the mother of holistic medicine. She and her husband, Dr. Bill McGarry, co-founded the American Holistic Medical Association, now called the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. Dr. Gladys is a past president of this organization. She was born in India in 1920. She attended the Women's Medical College of Pennsylvania in the 1930s. Dr. McGarry is still active with a medical consulting practice. She's the author of Living Medicine. Her most recent book is The Well-Lived Life, a 102-year-old doctor's six secrets to health and happiness at every age. Dr. Gladys, you've just been describing that as you and your husband moved to Phoenix and adopted a triune approach, body, mind, and spirit, that shifted the way you thought about medicine. You and your husband were co-founders of the American Holistic Medical Association. Can you tell us about that, please? There are a number of us who were really feeling this you know, that that there was something missing in medicine. And so Bill had started writing a newsletter and we kind of connected with other people and we started the American Holistic Medical Association in 1973 because we needed to have that other aspect of medicine in the work that we were doing. And of course, it took us two years to decide how to spell holistic because the root word that we were looking for was health, healing, and holy. So it had to be with an H. But anyway, we started the American Holistic Medical Association. And from that, it spun into getting into work work with acupuncture. But also, all this time, we understood a lot about herbs. We, We were using castor oil enough in our practice, that my kids have said they're going to put on my tombstone, here she lies in spite of castor oil. (laughs) Well, Dr. Gladys, a lot of our listeners are saying, wait a minute, here is this physician over a hundred years old. She was practicing holistic medicine before it became popular. And I guess it's important for us to try to get our minds around what you meant by holistic spelled with an H. What did that mean for you and for your patients? It meant, well, another story. My eldest son is a retired orthopedic surgeon. And when he had finished his training, he came through Phoenix and he said to me, he was just ready to start his practice in Del Rio, Texas. And he said, Mom, I'm real scared. I'm going into this field, and I, I'm i going to have people's lives in my hands. I don't know if I can handle that. And I said, well, Carl, if you think you're the one who does the healing, you have a right to be scared. But if you can understand that orthopedics is an amazing tool, 
It's something that is just awesome. If a person needs an orthopod, we need an orthopod. So you use your training to the best of your ability, and then you turn the healing of the body over to the physician within that patient. That's your colleague. From then on, you work with that aspect of the patient that actually does the healing, the physician within that patient. And so he, you know, he did. You know, I think that some doctors might have a hard time understanding what you mean by the physician within the patient. How were your efforts received initially? (laughs) I can't use some of those names. (laughs) Okay, not on the air. (laughs) (laughs) No, we we were very strange and misunderstood. People understood us better than the medical community did. One of the most important aspects of your book, The Well-Lived Life, is about how people can live their best lives, how people can find out, can know what their purpose is. How do we find that out? First of all, we recognize that we do the healing ourselves. We have that power I think it's it's sad that we've allowed people to think that they have to be, you know, that medicine is what has to treat them, that a doctor has to treat them. And particularly, I'm passionate about what we've done to to pregnancies. I'm calling it uh, taking care of patients from lust to dust. It's the movement of life as it it enters in, needs to be treasured and worked with, but it also needs to be understood that that aspect needs to be honored. And and in medicine, we've totally taken that away so that women think they have to be delivered of babies. We deliver speeches and we deliver pizzas or something, but women birth babies. Someone else doesn't birth a baby for a, mo- a mother. She births her own baby. She needs help. She, uh, and that's what we're there for, but not the actual process. Dr. Gladys, in, in fact, I found your story about your sixth child um, fascinating, <laughs> and I'm hoping that you will share it with us. So you, you had six children. They're all grown-ups now. Um, but this this last child, you and your husband were exploring at that point the new idea of husband uh, coaching through labor. Can you tell us the rest of the story, please? Yeah, we were. I was about a week away from actually having the birth, and um, I had plan. I had had my uh, fifth child at home, and I was planning the, th- the sixth one at home. And because I'd been working with home births right along for, we had the baby buggy program and all of that. But we're sitting there listening to Bob Bradley, Dr. Bob Bradley, talk about his book called Husband Coach Childbirth. And all of a sudden, this baby within my womb, who was, was 
moving around and doing things, but he did one big shift and moved into a transverse position in my abdomen. Well, now, you know, the baby can't be born unless it's born with it getting the head out. A, a, a breach can be born, but, you you know, you need to get the position right. Right, well, and, and babies do better if they're head first. Yeah, and, and this little guy decides to go sidewise, and he's in transverse position, flat across my belly, and I'm leaning back in the chair and looking at him and talking to him because, you know, in my way of understanding this business about birthing, the mother is there in working with the baby, and the baby and the mother are working together. It's a it's a unit that is, you know, that's a complete unit, this birthing process. This, we feminifest this. So anyway, I'm talking to him, and I'm saying, now look, come here, baby. Your head needs to be down, down here, and your bottom needs to be up here. So you've got to help me. I'll help you. And so I'm discussing this in my mind with this baby, communicating with him. And I said, now let's just work together with this, because I didn't hear anything else Bob Bradley had to say, because I'm busy working with this baby. And all of a sudden, he go, he gets one little good wiggle, and then he goes, and he flops his head down bottom. And a week later, we're able to have a perfectly normal vertex presentation. So um, I'm so pleased with what my book is being able to relate to us as people that life Life and love are the two things that are essential for healing and for for the lives that we live and making it a happy life. Well, what I have found so interesting about your book is you have mentioned that modern medicine focuses on killing pathogens versus your focus on healing the whole being. Tell us the difference between killing and healing. Death and life is a difference. It's a difference of what we really think we're here for. You know, uh, these poor boys that are going around shooting people in classes and so on don't understand that that's not their mission. And I think each one of us have come into this earth as part of the whole process. In fact, it's our mission to find out what it is and who we are. It's like this is a, the world is a huge jigsaw puzzle, and each one of us is a piece in that jigsaw puzzle. And there isn't one piece that's more important than another. You know, if you've done, a, if any of us have done a thousand piece jigsaw puzzle, and we get to the end and there's one piece minute missing, we go nuts yeah. trying to find that one piece. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know? So it's that kind of importance that we each have for running our own lives. And it's the way we uh, that puzzle piece touches everything around it. 
and becomes itself. Dr. Gladys, sometimes it can be hard for people to figure out what piece they're holding. And you tell a story in The Well-Lived Life about a young man named James whose parents you had been taking care of. You had taken care of James when he was a, a little kid. And when he was born, yeah. And now here he was. He had graduated from college. He had a degree in computer science, but he was not enthusiastic about pursuing a career in computer science. So tell us the rest of the story, please. Yes, and I still know, you know, he's still in my community. He was a, an intense young man who uh, really was looking for what it w- was that he w- needed to do. He was reading things and, and doing things that he, but he couldn't find what really made his heart sing. And so he had said to his parents that he wanted to go by himself up on South Mountain for a weekend and uh, without food or water and figure out what his body was, or, you know, what he was. He just needed that time. He just didn't know why. And his parents came in to talk to me because they were worried about him. They said, you think he's on drugs or something? And I, so I had him come in and no, he wasn't on drugs. He was on his mission quest. And so he did that. He went off by himself up on South Mountain for two and a half days without water, without anything except his desire and his inner motivation to find out what it was that he really, really wanted to do. He's a musician, and he's a very good musician. His parents were concerned. They said musicians don't make much, you know, it's hard to make a living, but he didn't care. He had to play his music, and he's really a good musician. So he found his juice. He found what he wanted to do, and he's still doing it. Just a wonderful guy. Dr. Gladys, why is it so important for the rest of us to look towards the light, looking where it leads us? How do we mobilize when we're feeling stuck like James was? Well, you know, if you're looking into darkness and there is no light, you don't know what to do. But darkness is temporary. Darkness leads to death. Darkness ends. Life is something that just goes on if we keep moving, if we keep looking. And it moves towards itself. Light moves towards light. The fact is that even the slightest amount of light, well, if we're in a dark place, but we start looking for light, we'll find it. If we're not looking for it, we don't find it. I like to picture walking along my path with a flashlight, and I can take one step at a time as a flashlight opens it up. And it's amazing. It's amazing. You know, you can do this. But sometimes as you're walking along, there's a little light on the edge that doesn't have much light there. But if you shine your light over on that, it adds to that light. And all of a sudden, that little light 
gets brighter. I think we all are in this together. I think that it's important for us to be aware that each one of us is looking for the light. We all want to be seeing what it is that we're doing and where it is that we're going. But we haven't been told that. We've been told, you know, to be not to take risks, not to be always very careful. We protect ourselves from the th horrible things that are going on all there and put so much energy into the badness of, uh, around us that we forget to look for the goodness that's around us and within us. You are listening to Dr. Gladys McGarry, a pioneer of the holistic medical movement. Keep in mind that she's over 102 years old. She's also a founding diplomat of the American Board of Holistic Medicine. She's the co-founder and past president of the American Holistic Medical Association, now called the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. Dr. McGarry also co-founded the Academy of Parapsychology and Medicine. She currently has a medical consulting practice. Dr. McGarry is the author of Living Medicine. Her latest book is The Well-Lived Life, a 102-year-old doctor's Six Secrets to Health and Happiness at Every Age. After the break, we'll find out what you can do to improve your chance of becoming a centenarian with your cognitive capacity intact. We'll hear the advice Dr. Gladys would have given her younger self. Dr. Gladys embraces the five L's, life, love, laughter, labor, and listening. Lots of people think of old age as a time of stagnation. How can we get better as we get older? What can we start doing today to live life to the fullest? You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia, backed by 20 years of scientific research and the maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, CocoPro Cocoa Extract. Cocoa flavanols are among the most studied plant-based bioactives today and are clinically proven to promote cardiovascular and brain health for the long term, supporting a strong heart, and better memory. Get 15% off your order of any Cocovia product by using the discount code PPOD15. Learn more at Cocovia and remember that discount code is PPOD15. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory Plus is formulated with 750 milligrams of cocoflavanols, a level clinically proven to improve three different types of memory and support brain function. 
More information available at cocovia.com. Sometimes the practice of medicine is seen as a way to overcome disease. But for our guest today, it's a way of helping each patient live their best life. To do that, she encourages each of us to find our life's purpose. We're talking with Dr. Gladys McGarry. She's co-founder and past president of the American Holistic Medical Association. Her most recent book is The Well-Lived Life, a 102-year-old doctor's six secrets to health and happiness at every age. Dr. Gladys says we're talking with you today. You're over 100 years old. You have accumulated a lot of life wisdom and experience. What are some lifestyle changes that the rest of us could make to enhance our chance? We can't, we can't promise, but to enhance our chances of getting to your age with our cognitive capacity as you have done. Well, first of all, I think... It's to recognize that we really are in charge of how we lead our lives. And as we do that, you know, it, it, it's realizing that the physician within us is what, what's important. And we understand that we can look for the light or not. If we're not looking for the light, we don't see it. But if we're looking for the light, It'll show up. It'll come someplace. We start looking for the things that make us happy, looking for the things that make our life worthwhile because it's there. It's just that we've tucked it away into a corner and, and swept a, around it and never looked at it, or we've looked it out and shoved it back into the corner. But if we really are looking for something that matters, for us and for our world, we can find it because it's there. It just needs to be looked for. It's a treasure hunt. Dr. Gladys, is there any advice that you would like to have given to your younger self? In other words, if you could go back in time, what might you have said to that younger Dr. Gladys McGarry? My first two years in school were really, really hard. I was so dyslexic, I couldn't read anything. The numbers and the figures went all over the page. I flunked first grade twice. You know, I was repeated it. And so that I was a class dummy. And I accepted that so that I thought that my voice didn't have any power by itself for many, many years. And I was 93 before I really recognized that what I'd been talking about all my life had power and had, had a message. I'd written about it and so on. But in my heart, I thought, yeah, Gladys, that's nice, but you better get, get somebody else to validate what you're saying. And it wasn't until I was 93 and I had a dream that allowed me to understand that my voice was important. And I started claiming my voice. Now, think about this. Since I was 
seven and eight and nine years old, I had denied my voice because I couldn't read it. I couldn't see it. I couldn't make any sense out of it. But somehow I learned to read and I learned to write. And when I when we started the American Holistic Medical Association, 10 of us were sitting around a table one time and we realized that six of us had been severely dyslexic. And so there is a way of getting past, and I don't know how I learned to write, read, but I did. You learn to do what you need to do because if you finally get to a point where you can say, oh, this is what's re- what I've been trying to say all this time, and it's really important. You know, I find it so interesting when you talked about what it was like in medical school, and, and the yeah. dean of the medical school uh, called you into her office and basically uh, said that there was something wrong with you, that you might need some psychiatric help. And she was concerned about your knitting. <laughs> I had to laugh because I, I actually went to a, a women's college as well, Bryn Mawr College, which is still a, a, well, yeah, a women's yeah. college. And I was not the only one who knit during class because it helped us concentrate better. Is that what you were doing? (laughs) Yeah, you know, I knitted, I crocheted, I did what I wanted to because I knew, I didn't know, but I knew that I could understand what was being taught if I somehow was using my life energy in a way that made sense to me. It didn't really... There, you know, the other gals were there too, and it was just one of those things. But the ability to realize that I had to keep my hands moving, and life in its essence has to move. If you stop moving, now, right now, I walk, I, with a walker, I walk 3,800 steps a day. Sometimes I don't make it, but I do it, and I go up and uh, steps. So I keep my body moving. I keep my hands moving. I keep looking for things. Movement is essential for having a life that is working and, and allowing us to go places. And it's interesting, you know, if I tell a patient that they need to go home and rest, they can take that and say, that means I go home and do nothing. That's not what I'm telling them. Resting is something. You're doing something. You're going home to rest. Don't go home and give up. That's not what resting is. So you you understand that you have to keep moving if you're going to live your life. Dr. Gladys, you've also written, love is the greatest healer of all. It's the essence of healing. A loving attitude makes all the difference. A grudging attitude depletes our energy. Would you offer us another story, an example of this? In 2008, uh, Rose Winters, who's my executive director, and I had lunch with Dr. Nocera, who was a friend of ours, working in Costa Rica with stem cells. 
And he told us this story. He said they they were just starting work, the stem cell work. He said that in the in their research, they had several different laboratories that were doing the actual research work, but they have found that one lab always got better results than the others. And they couldn't figure out, the protocol was exactly the same. They couldn't figure out what in the world was happening. So finally, one day, he just went to that lab and sat there for the day watching what they were doing. And the thing that he found out was in that laboratory, there was one of the techni- one of the technicians who somehow, he said, you could tell that by the way he worked with those stem cells, whether they were in the Petri dish, whether he was injecting them into uh, uh, whatever, it was just, he was in love with those cells. He loved working with those cells. And the others were doing it just as they were doing it as properly, protocol and everything. But for them, it was a job and they were just doing it and getting through. Not this one. He was, he, you know, he said you could tell by the way he was handling them and then working with them. He said, so we realized that the thing that made those cells, those stem cells activated was the love that he was investing in them. So whenever we understand that we have within our body our own stem cells, that we have created in our own bone marrow, in our own bloodstream, our own stem cells, of course that's where we need to put our love. That's where we need, if we want to do healing, let's work with our stem cells and realize that they are needing our love and they need to move. Well, speaking of the L word, you actually suggests the importance of embracing the five L's. Can you tell us about life, love, laughter, labor, and listening? Yeah, life by itself has all the energy of the universe within it, like a a, a little seed in the pyramids. It's all, you know, energy is there and 5,000 years and it's still there. Can't do anything until love activates it. And love in the form of water and sunlight and so on, when that starts to get some energy of love, it cracks the shell and then life and love become one. It's like a pregnancy. A pregnancy is the life force in which the energy is moving and so on. But when the baby takes its first breath, then it becomes a a separate unit. But it's that movement, that combination. So life and love, you can't separate them. They belong together. But life and for for laughter, the third one is laughter without love is cruel. It's cold, it's, it's mean, but laughter with love is joy and happiness. And the fourth one is labor. Labor without love is drudgery. Too many diapers, I have to go to work. You know, this is, oh, oh. and you drag yourself through it. 
but labor with love is bliss. It's why Jim went to the mountain. It's why a singer sings. It's why a painter paints. It's, it's actually juices us. It's, it's there and it's bliss. And the fifth one, listening. Listening without love is empty sound. It's a clanging gong. It just doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. But listening with love is understanding. So for me, these five L's kind of give me a little platform that I can work my life around. <laughs> now, Dr. Gladys, some people think of old age as a, a time of loss or stagnation. But you've written that we can get better as we get older. Tell us how. Well, it's because you find the things that really give you juice. You know, the things that you can do that make you happy, but actually help other people. In fact, when this uh, book that you were just talking about, when we first came up with the title, I didn't like the title. I said, no, I, I it wasn't until Doug Abrams said, well, we're not talking about your life. We're talking about the people who read the book. But you see, it's that kind of a, a movement in consciousness where you can move through and on. And when we get to be this age, we've done a lot of things, good and bad and up and down and all around the whole world. But a lot of those things have kept life moving. And if that's what you're looking for, and if that's what you really think your life is about, oh, it's really, you can find it. I call it, if I ha have a night when I'm not sleeping too, you know, you have nights like that, I can have a just a jolly good time going down my memory lane, whichever la memory lane I choose. Because there's so many rich memories that I have that just make me really feel, oh, life is so good. Now, Dr. Gladys, you have over 100 years of memories. I'm wondering for uh -huh. maybe some of the younger people who are listening to us now, what's something that someone can start doing today to live life to the fullest? Look for the light. Work with your dreams. Ask your if you if you think you're stuck someplace. Ask for a dream. You, you your inner being knows what you're, and and then fall in love with yourself. Just think about that. How awesome it is to actually love yourself. I have a young man came in to see me one day, and he says, "You know, this guy doesn't like." me, but I like me. I don't know what's wrong with him. <laughs> <laughs> it's that ability to see that within us is the energy of life that is there for, you know, for use, for growth, for life, for joy, for laughter. It's there. You know, right now, my eyes are such that I can't really read. But I can listen to audiobooks, and I can do some of the really things that 
I couldn't do before. And I'm still knitting because that's my hands do those. So there's, there's things that are trivial things to do to keep my body active. But I also have to keep my mind active because I want to keep my mind active. I want to be able to laugh. I want to be able to have my great-granddaughter come in and, and play with dolls here. I, you know, it's the ability to be able to see how life is connected with life and life and a garden. I, I mean, we have a beautiful garden out here. How great is that? Dr. Gladys McGarry, thank you ever so much for writing up your wisdom and for sharing it with us on The People's Pharmacy today. Thank you. Thank you very much. You've been listening to Dr. Gladys McGarry. She's the co-founder and past president of the American Holistic Medical Association, now called the Academy of Integrative Health and Medicine. Dr. McGarry currently has a medical consulting practice and is the author of Living Medicine. Her most recent book is The Well-Lived Life, a 102-year-old doctor's six secrets to health and happiness at every age. Lynn Siegel produced today's show, Al Wadarski engineered, Dave Graydon edits our interviews, B.J. Lederman composed our theme music. This show is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with The People's Pharmacy. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory and Focus is made with a special blend of ingredients that work together to promote attention and support long-term memory. It supports five areas of brain performance in one capsule. More information at cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,345. You can find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. That's also where you can share your comments. Our interviews are available through your favorite podcast provider. You'll find the show on our website on Monday morning. This week's podcast has some additional insights on living a long, healthy life. Learn why we all need to master the skill of listening well and why patients must be part of the diagnosis and treatment process. At peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter to get the latest news about important health stories. By subscribing to our newsletter, you also have regular access to our weekly podcast and can find out ahead of time which topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.